Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is scaling your sales group. I'm thrilled to have Phil Shoemaker with us, who's going to share his thoughts on this important topic for all mortgage bankers. Uh, Phil is president of Originations for HomePoint Financial, one of the fastest growing non-bank mortgage lenders and services. Phil has over 20 years experience with Caliber, Stonewater Mortgage, and First Magnus Financial Corporation. At HomePoint, he's responsible for all mortgage lending and has increased annual loan production by over 100% since joining in 2018. Hi, Phil. Hey, Pat. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. And this is such a critical topic. So before we really jump into it, let's talk about how did you get into managing? We'll go back. I was really lucky throughout my career to work for really strong leaders that I think gave me, and maybe in some cases, a little more responsibility than I deserved. And, I, and when I was younger, I think it was maybe also a little, uh, a little cocky. And so I didn't, I didn't really know uh, my limits. And so I was, I was constantly taking on more than maybe I should. And <laughs> so uh, needless to say, I think I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes along the way and had the opportunity to learn from those mistakes. I also, my, the beginning of my career was, was heavily focused in technology and, and, and that kind of took me into project management. So I ended up running, you know, program management offices throughout the years. I think that, that was a good learning thing for me as well because I had the opportunity to, to manage things from a, from a project functional goal perspective where you're having to get things done by influencing people. You know, and so I think mm-hmm. that that uh, that was really where I think I started to learn how to manage things in a broader sense. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting ride to to say the least. So when you look back over all the over your years of managing, what was the best advice that you ever really heard on this topic? And were there any books that might have influenced you? <laughs> okay, you know it's funny. It's like I I do actually think back. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of people I worked for that were just really great leaders, and they had little sayings that kind of stuck with me throughout the years, you know. And uh, you know, let me see here if I could pick up a couple. So one's uh, you kill more flies with uh, with honey than you do vinegar. Another one would be uh, you know I, I do, and I believe this one really really strongly is you, you're only as good as the people that you have on your team. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you work for them, not the other way around. I was really lucky, I think, to learn that lesson early on. Uh, and then the, you know, probably the, the last one would be performance is managed, performance improves. And when metrics are distributed widely, the performance improves at a rapid pace. That was, uh, that was a good one from, uh, from Joe Anderson. I worked for him for years. In terms of books, I honestly don't. I like to, I like to read more for you know, personal enjoyment. I sure. love uh, you know, geopolitical books and and uh, I've been really into podcasts lately. I actually think and this is, you know, probably not the uh, I guess most interesting answer. I I don't think you can learn management through through a book. I think yeah, I think you have to kind of do it. You have to you learn it by by doing it, you know. And I, I think that if I just kind of use myself as an example, I mean, I think I've I've really picked up things by just you know the people I've worked for throughout the years, taking you know pieces and parts of things that I I appreciate and like. And, and I think more importantly, the things you don't like, right? Because, right. you know, it really is about 
what works for one person, I think doesn't necessarily work for everyone, you know? Sure. So it's about finding your own style, right? Because, because I, I think the one thing that's really, really important in managing is you have to be authentic. You have to be genuine. And so if you're trying to be someone that you're not, like people will see through that pretty quickly. Right. That's really a good point for sure. If you had to say, you know, what is the secret sauce that many people miss in managing? What would that be for you? <laughs> oh, that's, I could give you, I could stick on this one for a bit. I, I'd say probably number one is it's, it's not about you. It, it's not about you. It's, it's and, and kind of what I mean by that is I think empathy wins over ego every time. Trying to to put yourself in other people's shoes and kind of see things through their their perspective and to not get caught up in being right, right, in, in, in the control aspect of, of management. I think that you get the best out of people when you can create an environment where they feel comfortable to, to be vulnerable, right, where they can they can actually step out on a ledge and they don't feel like they're being judged. And if they make a mistake, it's catastrophically bad. I mean, I think you have to, you have to have high expectations of people. Don't get me wrong from a performance standpoint, but I really think that that's, you know, that that's number one for me, at least is, is I want to create an environment where, where people feel like they can be vulnerable and I want to be, you know, lead with empathy and not, not ego or fear. Well, that's really so well needed in this world today, for sure. So when you look at the key practice that you keep coming back to over all these years, and you've been at certainly a variety of different companies, what, what is that practice that you do over and over again? I guess this is probably a spinoff on the last answer, but I, I think it's, again, it's really about building, focusing on building the team and the people right? Not, not creating a rigid structure that, that I think can stifle creativity or, or individual thought. And so I've, I've always, you know, when I've, I've been very lucky and fortunate to be part of scaling several organizations and, and this is not super exciting, but I don't, I don't think I really do anything special other than I spend a lot of time going out and trying to understand the problem I'm trying to solve and trying to find the right person to solve that problem such that I can empower them and I don't have to control it. And so I feel like if, if you can, if you can spend your time on getting the right people in place, and then more importantly, actually, if you, if you, cause you're going to miss, right. If you, if you, sure. if you hire the wrong person, it's almost more important that you get them out quickly or at least get them to the right role. Cause sometimes it isn't about they're the wrong person, you know, or they need to be fired. Sometimes it's about, they're just in the wrong role. And so I think spending you know, oftentimes managers don't spend enough time thinking about the organizational strategy and the, and the people that they're, that they're going after to, to fill the different spots. That to me is, is number one. So Phil, when you look at scaling uh, a sales group uh, for our listeners today, talk about, I guess, a little bit more in depth. So when you're doing the strategy review, what is that that you're looking at? So yeah, salespeople, you're, are are definitely a different beast, right? Because uh, I will tell you that really good salespeople don't like to be managed. Sure, <laughs> that's always sure. The, that's always the challenge, right? Is you, you and so the way I like to approach that is if you're when you're building a highly functional, um, uh, highly efficient uh, sales organization, uh, it really is about going out and and I, you can't miss on that. You have to get the right. You know, sales a salesperson is the point of the spear, right? And mm-hmm. So. I think it starts by you have to acknowledge that getting the right people is number one. And, and, and too many times I see in my competitors and other organizations where people are just 
trying to fill fill uh, seats, right? Instead right. of going out and trying to get someone in a market or or whatnot to fill a seat. And, and the reality is that doesn't work. You're better off, you know, uh, uh, paying up, right? And going and getting someone that's that's really really good at the job. And then and then your role and or, or my role becomes how do I make that person successful? That's where I focus most of my time. So not trying to build. You know, I remember when I first got into sales management, the thing was like opportunity reports we need all of our salespeople to fill out opportunity reports and we need to know what they're doing and and uh i kind of went down that rabbit hole for a little bit you know where i was trying to create the structure where i'm trying to manage activity and 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 the reality is that's it's not scalable like you can't you cannot scale that you have to create a structure where you can empower people and you can let them be the point of the spear and and do the things that they need to do as long as they're ethical and legal in their markets to to win and and I, and I think a big part of the structure that too oftentimes I think managers don't focus on that's required to do that is really compensation design, right? And so I, I spend a lot of my time thinking through how to how to motivate how to motivate people through compensation because if you think about it in, a, in an environment where you're empowering people, especially salespeople, and you're you want to keep them aligned with your your company's goals and your company's core tenets, the best way to do that is through compensation. And so I think that's where a lot of people miss the boat or have missed the boat over the years is they don't spend enough time trying to think through what are our goals as an organization? What are our core tenants? And then how do we build compensation or comp plans around that such that you don't have to manage the activity? You can let people man, you know, direct their own activity mm-hmm. and you're just aligned on the in-state goal because compensation aligns you. So Phil, do you look at your competition or do you look at other industries when you're designing the compensation? How, how do you approach it? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I'll be honest with you. And I, I, uh, this is, I was really lucky. I worked for, you know, a group of people uh, in the early days of Caliber. They, they came from Countrywide. I think Countrywide was really good at this. That I probably just to use like, you know, Home Point Now as an example. I mean, I'll, I'll spend a good 20 or 30% of my time on compensation. And so it, it is, it is a, a very important uh, uh, part of the equation. And I think that there's, there's examples that you can point to right in the industry. And so I do try to understand, you know, cause part of compensation is you got to understand what you're competing for, right. And against, mm-hmm. and, and so understanding kind of how you build something that is competitive against your peers. And, and especially if you're trying to, to win that top salesperson in the market, but I do think having outside perspective is good. And, and oftentimes I think the mortgage industry lacks creativity. <laughs> and so, you know, looking at other, other industries and, 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 you know, different strategies around compensation, I think is a, is a good thing, but it is, it isn't a one size fits all thing. I'll, I'll tell you that it is something that takes a lot of time and thought and, and, and there's no silver bullet. So when you're looking at outside, are there any other industries in particular, or do you look at, you know, banking or, financial services, or in other words, what, what do you think uh, is something that is appropriate that would apply in the mortgage banking world? Yeah, in that, in, in that case, I would say it's, it's probably more of a function of what not to do. I mean, I, I do think too often times what you'll see, for example, in banking is um, there's very little creativity that goes into it. <laughs> and it's maybe a bit too it's maybe a bit a bit too bureaucratic. I'd have a hard time pointing to any one industry that I think sure. I, I try to, to emulate. and here's honestly what I found is, is if you look at if to get really specific with you, if you look at the issue with mortgage banking is you you had this you had this really close alignment with salespeople and the goals of the company pre Dodd Frank, right? Where mm-hmm. where 
uh, originators and salespeople were heavily aligned on the economic out, you know, outcome of a company. And, and I think since then, what you've seen is from a regulatory standpoint, you know, it's really made it difficult in certain areas of mortgage banking to create that alignment. Um, and while some of it I think is good, right? Because I do think there were problems in how people were compensated pre-Dodd-Frank. I think a lot of it was, was bad because at the end of the day, profit is a big part of the health of every company, right? And so the, the challenge is always, how do you keep compensation in line with the profit of your company, but also tie it back to the, you know, the, the core values, right? And, and the, the softer things that you need to make sure that the salesperson is cognizant of. And so what I've, what I've actually started doing, I used to have revenue-based plans I would focus heavily on, and I've actually backed away from that. And instead, I've gotten more into you know, volume-based plans where I have structured MBOs that people understand, all right, you know, here's kind of how my compensation will work from a scaling standpoint in terms of as I do more volume. But if, if you know, I also have these three or four things that I need to make sure I'm managing as, as well, right? And like, as an example, profit would be one of them, you know, sure. or, or quality would be another one. And so, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, I've actually gone away, I've gone way down this rabbit hole where I used to design plans that were just crazy. I'm an engineer. That's my, that's my background. And I used to maybe get a little over, you know, comp- I overcomplicated things and I would, I would over-engineer it. And that's the other thing that you got to watch. You can't design a plan that's so complicated people can't track it (laughs) oh yeah it needs to be you know it needs to be aligned and it needs to be simple to understand and and if you do that you know salespeople it's kind of like water right it'll find its own level they'll they will best act a comp plan like no one's business at least the good ones will and you just kind of let them go you know so when you look at you've increased the production at home point 100% in a very short time uh which is fantastic so congratulations what were the you can't manage 10 things you have to manage a few things and what were it sounds like compensation was one of them and then getting the right people did you change the interview process there or or talk about some of the nitty gritty types of things that you implemented that's a pretty dynamic topic so um in terms of, um, yeah, I would say, you know, comp design is one for sure. Uh, focusing on getting the right people is another. And then when you're, you know, HomePoint's really a startup. And so we actually, actually this year we'll have, since I've joined, I guess we'll have increased our, we'll have increased our production by well over 600%. In fact, mm-hmm. I think the first year I was here, we did about 10 billion and this year we'll do, you know, upwards of 60 billion. And if you think about it, when you're growing that fast, you have to be able to create an environment where you're making quick decisions. You're moving fast, but you're not doing it. There's a lot of risk, obviously, in doing it too quick and, and mm-hmm. scaling that fast from a quality standpoint that they can be catastrophic. And so I, I would say that I, I didn't have the luxury of, of hiring people and training people. So I, I spent a lot of my time in terms of recruiting and, and who we were lucky enough to have join our team going after people that I knew kind of going into it fit the culture and, and had the background experience to do what I was trying to, to do. And so I would say that was, that was one kind of key component to it is, is like we, we never could have done what we did by going and hiring kind of unknown people or, or, or people that were training, right. To, to do it. Like you need to, you need to kind of start with the known entity. And then, and then the second thing is, is there's been a lot of emphasis and focus and, and, and time spent on how do you create controls, right. And metrics to, you know, because part of your ability to disseminate control and empower people 
is you have to have data and metrics to understand, you know, what's happening as it happens. <laughs> right? Sure. Right. That's it. One, everyone has clear expectations of what they're trying to do, but two, you, you know, kind of predictively if, if, if you've done something wrong and you can, you can have a feedback loop to adjust quickly. And, and so that's probably the other two, you know, I'd say that, you know, having a emphasis on kind of hiring people that, that really were known entities that had a proven track record, not necessarily, I, I didn't necessarily know them, but they were, known within the industry, right? And then also creating the right controls through metrics to be able to to, to manage the scale and growth as, as we went in a controlled fashion. So that was my question that, it, did you know these people or you're just saying that these were people that were known for having good reputations? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I mean, the mortgage industry is a very small world. Right. <laughs> it's like that right. like Kevin Bacon game of like six degrees. It's like three <laughs> degrees of separation, right, in mortgage. Right. But uh, and so, no, yeah, I, I, most of them I didn't really know personally. I, I knew you know, just by indirectly or by reputation. But I will say there is a concept in mortgage. I don't know if it's specific to mortgage, but good people are attracted to other good people. You know, right. so it kind of becomes this, you start to build momentum where if you if you get the right, one, you establish the right culture. And it does start at the top. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I mean, the, real, the main reason why I joined HomePoint is, you know, the, our CEO, Willie Newman, is like he... I'm very much aligned with, with his vision and his culture and how he treats people and how he wants to, you know, the type of environment he wants to create. And, and so it does kind of start with that, to be honest with you, is you, you have to create a culture that starts at the top, starts at the, the, you know, with the CEO that is going to attract the right type of person. And so I'd like to say that it was like overly complicated and something that, you know, I'm somehow special, but the reality is I think I'm just, I'm lucky, you know, I learned from a lot of really good people and I, I, uh, I think, you know, through that have decided what I want to be like and who I want to be, who I want to work with and for. And, and, uh, and, and once you kind of get that clarity, you know, other people start to follow that, you know, that, that emulate those same, you know, those same kind of core tenets. So, Phil, how did you address the issue? Obviously, even in HomePoint's case, where you came into an organization that already had people that were there, and now you're supercharging it to a going at a much faster rate. So how do you get the other people on the bus that are probably not even used to that or even thinking like that? Talk about that. From <laughs> so you knew I was going to ask the yeah. hard questions, right? <laughs> yeah, man, you are. Um, that, was, that was probably the hardest piece, to be honest with you, because I, I if, you know, the other, the other companies I've been a part of scaling, I, I was there from the, literally the beginning. Like, sure. and so I, I was as part of the culture as it de- developed. And, and um, and here, here's what I'll say on that: the issue that you have when you're scaling a company, it, well, well, one to to answer answer your question, um, I intentionally when I when I came to Home Point, you know, I tried to I tried to 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 listen as much as I could. I tried to, you know, I didn't want to judge anyone. I you know, I spent a lot of time trying to understand kind of, you know, what was there, and and I, I think in some cases there was. You know, people are in the wrong roles. I think in other cases, you know, it's just the wrong is the wrong people. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it, it took it took a little bit of time, uh, I think, to, to, to sort out. But it is it is something, again, where, where as soon as you kind of get the core, you know, group and you get everyone aligned with the vision, it starts to, you know, it starts to take its own, you know, on its own life. Right. And build momentum. And, and so it, it, it wasn't easy. I guess is what, 
<laughs> never is. I, know. I guess I'm kind of real. Yeah, it, uh, it was an easy, simple little test I do when I'm evaluating people in, in that, hey, would I want to work for this person? You know, I, I actually, it's, it's, I don't even, actually, I don't remember where I picked this one up, but I really do sort like people into two categories. Like I sort them into, hey, this is someone that I, I really wouldn't want to work for, meaning not, not necessarily from a skill set standpoint, but from like the cultural, you know, fed and versus someone that I, that I would. And, and I've, I've, you know, and Willie was the same way, you know, when I, when I met him, I think there's been a lot of thought put into, you know, really hiring people that we all, you know, feel comfortable that, hey, we would work for this person, you know, and, and when you kind of put it in those terms, it, it's sort of neat because oftentimes a culture becomes toxic because people are, they're more concerned about themselves, right, and, and right. thinking about what they need to do to get ahead. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, ambition's good, that like people should want to grow in their careers. But if that's really all that leads to, that drives you, it's a, it's a problem. And that, that's really where I think that it's core from a culture standpoint and a home point I'm, I'm probably most proud of. And I want to take a little bit of credit of this, but I think a lot of it goes to Willie is, is there's been a lot of thought of, of, about bringing people into the organization that, that really are, are interested in building something that's special as opposed to just, you know, focusing on their own personal growth and, 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 and compensation and, and, and I think when you create that, when you have an environment, I like to say this, our, our asshole factor is zero. <laughs> when, you, when you have an environment where it's like you come to work every day and, and you know, they, and don't get me wrong, I mean, we have heated arguments. We have very, you know, uh, uh, heated discussions around different topics and whatnot. But, but at the end of the day, you always know that, hey, everyone's kind of got your back, you know, and we're trying to, we're trying to, we're aligned in what we're trying to do and no one's really out for themselves. And, and that's something that honestly it takes, you know, it takes constant work. And the, other, the last thing I'll say, I know I'm probably spending a lot of time on this topic is, you know, part of the issue you also have when you're growing a, a, an organization is you, you, you oftentimes the people that you have early on, it's hard to scale them right to the next level, right? Because you're, right. you're stretching people and you're, you're putting people in roles that maybe are a bit above kind of where they're at in their own careers. It doesn't mean they can't get there, but that's usually the hardest part I've seen when, when a company in flexion really starts to grow and scale is, is your biggest limiter is a lot of times you end up having people in the wrong roles, right? Because they're put there out of necessity, you know, and it's not necessarily that they're bad or can't do it. And it's just, you know, experience matters, right? And, and when you, when you have to manage something that's doing, you know, 60 billion a year versus something that's doing, you know, four or five, the, the, the structure and the way you think about things is a lot different. You know, so that's, that's the hardest part, honestly, if I had to point to the last couple of years that I think we had to navigate and we're still navigating to, the, to this day is, is transitioning from a company that kind of thinks small to a company that's thinking big without sacrificing your culture, right? That's the risk that you run. Well, that's really a great point, and really the time has flown by. Uh, if you would like to give a couple thoughts that would be key takeaways for our listeners today, what would that be? <laughs> um, just, uh, you know, I guess just be yourself. You know, uh, I think that, that uh, you know, I remember one of my, my favorite mentors I, I worked for was Joe Anderson. I remember he was like, he was like to me, he was like that really good f- football coach. He'd, he'd yell sure. at you and he, he was really hard on you, but you always knew it came from a good place. And I remember one uh, night I was having dinner with him after he was no longer CEO and working for him. And I remember saying, like, I, I don't, Joe, I don't, I don't think I can be you. I can't, I can't get angry and pound my fist on the table and, you know, and, 
And I remember him saying, he's like, no, man. He's like, I, I don't think that works anymore. I don't think that works. And, and plus, he's like, it's not about, you know, uh, being me. It's about, like, you got to figure out what works for you. And, and so I think, I think being genuine, um, treating people with respect, leading with empathy uh, is, is, you know, that's what I want to be a part of, you know, and I think that that's kind of the world. I think we've kind of moved past that like 1980s, 1990s, where it's like you got the big boss that's in the ivory tower that everyone's afraid of. I don't think that works anymore. And so just be you and be empathetic. Lead with empathy. Well, that's a great, a great point for sure. I want to thank Phil for sharing his thoughts today. They were terrific, right on target. Uh, look for our next podcast and please rate and review today's podcast. Thanks, Phil.